I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, featuring a conversation about one of my favorite topics, massive design in small spaces. I have shared my love of small space, well-designed spaces in the past. The first design house I ever produced, and my inspiration for the podcast, was the small space big style design house in Hollywood, California. This amazing project was the penthouse of the Hollywood condos, and it showcased some amazing designers like Christopher Kennedy, Brian Patrick Flynn, Azadeh Shladovsky, Christian May, Molly Lukemeyer. I believe having more space is a luxury, but the ability to craft in small space shows a whole other level of design mastery. In the spirit of exploration, I put together a panel of amazing creators that I admire for this very skill. This panel was recorded live from the West Edge Design Fair in 2019 and features Pieta Donovan, Jason Lai, Linnea Schweiders, and Nicolette Akiko. The conversation was masterfully moderated by Christopher Grubb. For the past five years or so, the tiny house movement has led industry leaders to rethink the idea of luxuriously designed smaller spaces. Since Frank Lloyd Wright crafted homes in his Usonian style, the Bauhaus movement, Neutra's Haley Residence, or Le Corbusier's Via Le Lac, the idea of living modestly has gained new interest. Now more than ever, finding ways to make structures highly functional in small spaces gives us more options. While I am sick of COVID-19, as you are too, I imagine, we have learned what we want from our homes and how starting small can help us get there. Enjoy this conversation from the West Edge Design Fair called Small Space, Big Style. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. So I'm. thank you to West Edge for inviting me to moderate this panel. Uh, I, too, am somebody that likes small space design. There's a challenge with it. I do an inordinate amount of bathrooms, and they're one of the most detailed projects you can do. Where's the tile? What's the height on this? Where's the volume control? And so a lot of them, most of my work in L.A. is remodels, so we don't necessarily have a big footprint to work off of. Um, And this is a really great and dynamic group of designers, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I have an interior design business in Beverly Hills called Arc Interiors Design Group. I've had it 25 years this year, still going. Um, I'm also a product designer. I have um, the CG collection is my mass market line. There's a line of bathroom vanities. I just launched a lighting line in High Point, branded under my higher-end brand, autographed by Christopher Grubb. I just had style drains come out for California faucets. There'll be some more faucets at the end of the year and a tile line early next year. So I've diversified, I'm diversifying into product as well. So there's my free plug I get. Thank you. Um, I'll give you all the websites, but no, I won't. So um, I'm going to start introducing this panel because um, just it's a great panel. Um, I'm going to start with Pieta Donovan who, first of all, if you haven't seen her tile line on the floor with Walker Zanger, you need to go take a peek. Really, really beautiful. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm going to let each person introduce themselves. 
Okay, um, so I'm an interior designer from Brooklyn, New York. I've been working in the industry for 20 years. Um, the bulk of the work that I've done in that time is with uh, real estate developers in luxury condominiums, um, and more recently, Brooklyn Brownstone renovations. Um, but the most exciting part of what I'm doing at the moment is really the product design and the tile that I've done with Walker Zenga, the handmade tile. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm super proud of that. Congratulations. It is really beautiful. Okay, Jason Lai, how are you? So Jason, you may recognize he won um, on Bravo's design show Best Room Wins. I did. And he also has a, a bathtub that he's come out with with Hydro Systems. I do as well. And um, tell us more about you. Hi, I'm Jason Lai. Um, I'm actually based in Santa Monica, literally up the block away. So I'm my business partner, Stephanie Elise, who've been in business for 10 years. We do residential design only. <laughs> um, but we do have a tile line coming out. We do a, a tub line from Hydro System. And um, I do a lot of taste me videos online. I'm a bit huge on social media. My whole thing this year is trying to hone in on branding because I think that's very important for interior designers um, and having clients come find us. Um, and I just won Best Room Wins for the contemporary category. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, so Linnaeus challenged me to say Linnaeus Schweitzer. Schweeters? Schweeters. Schweeters, I got it. Darn, second time. How are you doing? She's challenged me earlier. You have a furniture collection um, at a retail store in Venice, so you're diversified as well interiors, and tell us more about you. Uh, my name is Linnea Schweeters. I'm with Linnea Jean Interior Design. Um, I live in Venice. My office is in Mid-City, so I take projects all over um, Los Angeles. I specialize in residential and commercial interiors, so... And then, like Christopher said, I have a furniture line with um, a company called Faithful Roots in Venice. Um, it's just solid oak, really simple, clean lines. Um, so check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, check it out. All right, Nicolette Tsukimoto. You actually did a vignette. I did. That, um, one in the middle there. With you, you see some ostrich feathers that were all hand hot glued with my fingers to <laughs> have the evidence of burns but um, yeah I really wanted to create something um, feminine but elegant and elevated um, Josh had set the theme for um, this year's stage um, around Megan sorry I forget her last name but she's on the really? US soccer team oh, has this beautiful pink to purple ombre hair um, and so I was really challenged, and I was like, how do I translate that into an interior space without have it, like, having it being tacky? So that is what we ended up with. <laughs> and I think it's Repino. The right? what? Repino, Repino. Megan Repino. Oh, you're trying yes, to yes. Just... Thank yeah. you, thank you. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. I'll take female soccer players for 400. <laughs> <laughs> and then tell us about your firm. Is it a residential firm? Residential firm. Um, I focus mainly on luxury new construction. Um, either client or um, builder-based. Um, I am working on making the transition to more private residential clients. Um, I found that there is um, there's freedom in the development world, but there's also this disconnect um, that I was really feeling um, after a few years of, oh, I like never know who moved into that house or how they furnished it or... Um, you know, what their lifestyle is like. So that um, really kind of started to push me into the direction of growing my firm into um, the more private sector. Awesome. Great group of people. Well, let's start off right away about your approach for small space living. Now, you had a guest house. You guys did Pasadena, and you had small spaces. It was a big standout, which you guys were able to do with the small space. So my question just isn't just about that, but what is your approach? Do you have any kind of separate philosophy compared to a regular project? When I say regular, a larger scale project. Um, it's interesting coming from the luxury design um, world. Um, typically, the houses are, you know, four or five plus million dollars and are, you know, way up there in square footage. Um, so putting all of that together, you know, is, is one task, but I always was so drawn to um, things like the powder room or the theater where you really got to, got an opportunity to go very bold, 
kind of capture the essence of the house or the owners or the, you know, the design theme that you're um, going for, um, but not overdoing it. So I think there's a very like healthy balance um, that you really need to achieve when um, you're designing a smaller space. Awesome. Linnea, I'm asking, this is the one question for all of you. So Linnea, what about you? Sure. What, do you have an approach? Do you want to talk about Pasadena? Does it go into all of your work? Um, my room at the Pasadena Showcase House was called The Secret Study, so I just loved it because it just had that little, like, thing about it. So um, I wanted to make a really peaceful, quiet space for someone to come and, you know, a place for they, them to sit and read a book or, you know, write a to-do list or um, plan. I don't know. It was just like a, kind of a, a peaceful space. Um, so I made all the, the color palette was very simple and, uh, monochromatic and rich. Um, a lot of people asked me when they were walking through, it's like, oh, you went so dark on a small room, but I did the ceiling with a bronzed mirror. So it created a lot of reflection and, um, um, it made the space really dreamy. So I think, um, yeah, in a small space, you can kind of create these these moments and, and very purposeful rooms for like one individual thing. Well, you, you both sound bold in that. Yeah. In your room, what was your room? It was a, so my room a, it involved was, drinks. <laughs> um, it was technically called the Craft Cocktail and Cigar Retreat. It was about um, a thirty foot square um, square feet space um, that used to be originally a linen closet. And um, originally, the committee had approached me and said, oh, you can do the space, um, but I think all you're going to be able to do is a laundry room. <laughs> and I looked at them, I was like, I am not doing a laundry room for a show house. Like, I'm either, you know, give me 24 hours, I'll come up with some new ideas and concepts, but I'm not doing a laundry room. Um, so I pushed really, really hard for this um, cocktail and cigar retreat because who doesn't want, you know, a little closet drinking? Um, and, it, you know, like Linnea, I also use dark colors, which I think is a huge, a huge, you know, misconception. Like, oh, if you have a small space, you have to paint it white um, to make it look bigger. And I actually painted it this, you know, rusty dark color red and had, you know, espresso... Um, brown trims, not something you would typically pick for a space that small, but it worked because I had a very light vaulted ceiling, which I put um, a wallpaper, a very memorable wallpaper on, um, <laughs> with monkeys hanging out in the trees, drinking vodka, smoking cigars. So it really just, it, it tied everything together and it created that environment and it also brought the lightness and height to that room, which it didn't have before. That's awesome. And the projects they're talking about will be on their Instagram, so you can see more of it. All right, Jason, so what's your approach? Because you do some very large projects. Yep. And what's your approach when it's a smaller project? This is why I love design so much, because it's so subjective, and, like, every designer has its own, like, theme or has their own style. I just love that anybody can just be so creative, and if you have the taste level, you can create magic. Um, for me, it's a different approach. So for our Pasadena Showcase House, I did the guest house two years ago, and it was about 1,100 square feet. Even, even though that seems pretty large for a guest house, I was able to do an all-open concept with a huge kitchen with a $200 bottle wine cellar with like drawer microwaves and drawer ovens, and I was able to do uh, supreme, ultimate like storage units in there, even a hidden laundry room a full-size bathroom, a full-size master bedroom, and a living room, and a dining area. So, like, while I approach small space, my always thinking is, like, thinking about resale, especially for a real client. Um, when when, they're, when it's all said and done, that's really what the client is cares the most about, right? They're putting so much money in, they want to get the Because they must about resale? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so my, my technique is to start with what's the most important is the fireplace, or not sorry, not the fireplace, the kitchen, the kitchen and the bathroom. So those are the two main things that I really want to make sure that the the space allows and it's a wow moment. Um, Everything else is just play and floor plan. And obviously if it's a small space, square footage is key and you have to be really creative on storage because who doesn't love a storage in America? We all are hoarders at the heart anyway. So we we need multiple places to hide all of our stuff, so. 
Um, I do that with color palette as well. Um, sometimes I do have my moments where I want to go darker, but not all clients are okay with that. So I always sort of consider with, with the client and also seeing what the space allows it to be. Um, the second thing I really like to do is giving multi-purpose functional um, items such as like custom furniture or like the passing and showcase where I did the architectural doors in between the master and the living room. So there's still kind of like an architectural moment there, but close when, once you're ready to go to sleep, you just close the curtains and you have a blackout, like blackout room to sleep in. And if you have it open, the TV's above the fireplace and you can see it clearly. So just ultimating space. Right. I do a lot of lectures. On, I have a lecture called Am I Doing It Right? It's been yeah. 25 years. And we talk about resale. One is what's the value of your pleasure? And two, I remind them you spent six figures on a master bathroom. The next person buying it is going to rip it out. Right. It's not their style. So what is the value of your pleasure? So that's a whole separate sideline. <laughs> we can talk about We're that here to time. talk about small spaces. <laughs> okay, Pieta, what is your approach? Because you're our New York-based person mm -hmm. as well, our designer. And a lot of... I have friends with very big apartments in New York. Right. And then I have friends that it's a very smaller, modest-sized apartment. And mm -hmm. So what's your approach? Because I've seen you have a variety of projects. You don't have a certain size. But right. what is your approach when you get a smaller project in the city or Brooklyn or... Right. Um, I mean, space, of course, is it's so subjective when we're talking about small spaces. Um, but I guess because the bulk of my work has been with real estate developers... Um, and luxury condominium buildings where the spaces are small. I've done a lot of small kitchens, a lot of small bathrooms. Um, I tend to think like the general theme for me is that really the principles of design are the same regardless of the space that you're working in. Um, but a smaller space really does make you... Uh, it sort of forces you to think a little more about proportion and scale and circulation more than you might in a larger project. Um, I find that it's really important to analyse a small space um, and really think about um, the strengths of that space and the weaknesses. Um, circulation for spaces, uh, if you're doing a living room, of course, is key um, for the comfort of moving through space and say with the brownstones that I work on they're quite narrow and so you might be sort of limited to a very linear way of moving through space um, and of course the storage is massive and trying to integrate storage wherever possible is is a really good way of dealing with that and approaching small spaces um, and I think also lighting is is one of the sort of tricks that I kind of lean on. Let's run with that. Let's talk about lighting. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> I want to get into some specifics for the audience. So you brought up lighting. How, how do you do ambient task lighting? You brought up brownstone. So, you know, I know they're dark as you get into the yeah, middle. Yeah, how, they how, typically have like a front and a rear um, um, natural light source. Um, and they're often narrow, they're often long. Um, I would say that um, I'm not a fan at all of any kind of downlighting. It's just never been something that I enjoy in the experience of a I space. I want to know, then tell us what you do, because it's so, so funny, I have a client that bought a house on PCH, same thing, hates downlights, yeah. and it's like... I don't know how to get rid yeah. of them because and, they're I mean, there. It's, so what it's, you, it's useful. You know, it can help to kind of illuminate a space in a balanced way, but I think you can still achieve um, balanced lighting um, with the decorative fixtures or ambient lighting. Um, I think in a small space, you get an opportunity to um, bring in something that has design and form or sculpture um, and really sort of adds to the style of a room plus sort of doing the double duty of illuminating space but I think it's it's super important to me to have like a balanced amount of light um, within the space um, and um, I think it, it, it if you use it by say reflecting off a ceiling you can kind of create dimension and volume where it might not exist um, but at least in the Brooklyn brownstones I would never drop a ceiling they're often beautiful and decorative and and worth keeping as they are. I mean, I think the layout is very important too. Like I know for me, when I'm doing my makeup at home, I want natural lighting, you know? <laughs> like a lot, everybody loves natural lighting. You look so good in it, selfies. But like, you know, like the proportions, like she said, to scale and where you really put the vanity. I mean, you're, for most of us, so we're spending so much time in front of the vanity anyway, putting our makeup on. So 
that lighting is, it can come from there as well. It doesn't have to be recessed lighting or like sconces or pendants and stuff like that. But like if you, if you do the floor plan like nice and well, well done and thinking, considering like, oh, makeup and all that stuff, like that there's your natural lighting. I mean, that's a huge trick too, you know? So basically it's sconces and dimmers. That's the whole sconces and dimmers. Well, windows, of, lots of windows. Yeah. <laughs> natural light whenever possible, but a mirror can do a lot for a corner or a dark area. So just think about that if you're designing a space and you have like a spread of light, but this one dark corner, just put Love a mirror that. there and it's going to reflect the light and look beautiful. Love that. Love that. Yes, I am very sick of doing my makeup in my uh, foyer. <laughs> my boyfriend, <laughs> my boyfriend's gonna kill me. Um, but that is the space that does have the best natural, natural light. lighting, yeah. and I think that you know that's what we're all searching for. Um, even eyebrows, for even, sure. I hear you. Definitely brow. the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so you know, adding windows whenever possible. You know, skylights. Do you guys add skylights when you're not multi-story? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's I recently really did solo tubes in a bathroom where we didn't have any um, natural light, and it, they're incredible. I don't like them. <laughs> you don't like them. I was mean, surprised. I was like, "Ooh, solar tubes." I yeah, don't know how I feel about that, but they turned out really nice. They're small, and you know, they give a lot of invasive. natural light. Absolutely. Not the beautiful view, but... (laughs) Absolutely. You can't see the sky. Well, let's talk space planning, because you brought up the limitations of the the space you have to work with. So um, how do you approach layouts? So what are some tricks, like you can fool the eye or make it seem bigger? I'm going to start with Pieta with the East Coast kind of input, which is fun. Um, With layouts, like I was saying, like in a small space, it's so much more important to create a comfort in the movement through space. Um... For some of the clients that I've worked with, with the narrow brownstones in particular, um, you know, I mean, I love to float a sofa off of a wall, um, but they're so narrow that you really don't have the space for that. So uh, it's even the same for my own brownstone, just having to put that sofa up against the wall in a way that I really don't want to, but it's important to feel comfortable when you're moving through the space. Jason, you yeah. had, because we talked a little bit, but and you have some ideas that I liked. Totally. I mean, for even for the show on Best Room Win, I, it was a large bedroom, but I was able to create a foyer in the beginning of the room because the bedroom was pretty large for its size. But that just gives a kind of that grand gesture when you first walked in. And it's also multifunctional because the closet's right next to the front door. And if I put a little wall there, well, then your partner getting up at five in the morning, getting ready for work, you're not going to get that light on you. Um, another thing I did for them was because it's, they had a baby and it was really a multifunctional room where the baby comes in and plays and whatnot. They were expecting a new, a new baby coming in. So I built them this bench that was in the corner that, that triples as like a day bed, a sofa area, and a bassinet area. I mean, there's little things that you just keep it very personal for the client. Even though I'm putting a cushion on top, I did a little two-inch lip around the, the bench and there you go, a bassinet. Your baby's not going to roll over and... Hurt it, hurt it, so. I didn't want to say that, but, you know, get hurt, per se. So you talked about building a wall. Does anybody do movable walls, movable partitions, and, and separate a room that way? I've never done that before. Okay. I mean, I've done, I think we've done where, like, the resource furniture, where, like, it becomes it's such a small room that it, it's a sofa, and then when you, like, put it away, it's a bed. Um, I've done that a couple of times, and it turns out really good. But usually it's like a kid's room where they shove them into the smallest room possible. <laughs> I've done um, one project in the city in Soho. Um, it was a large sort of – it wasn't a large apartment. It was a, a very open-plan um, loft-like split space um, where we sort of designated zones by elevating some of the floor areas and creating, like, half-height walls that sort of – created the zones but it's still one bit you know one open space i think what we see a lot here in california because of our wonderful weather most of the year um a project i'm working on right now they um are having that california kitchen that outdoor space that they really just want as an extension of um their you know kitchen dining area so i think in terms of you know movable walls more so here, you're looking at, um, you know, accordion, full glass panel doors, you know, that will open up all the way, and then you can use that space, you know, um, as an extension of the original one. Well, and you talked about raising the levels and stuff, so it's creating a different zone. 
two questions on it. Do you use a different material like on the floor to create zones in some of these spaces? And do you have a material that you love to use in a smaller space? I love you all say color because it's a tough one to sell. It's the same, oh, it's going to make the room small. It's like, no, you'll feel the color. You know, you're going to have a sensation. But um, do you use different materials to do zones? Or if it's an open plan, if it's a smaller few bedrooms? I'm always like small spaces. I look at them as needing to be more cohesive because they are so, like you get everything in one you know, sweep of your eye. So, yeah, just more more rich colors. And you can also do light, that's fine, but just less contrast, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I usually like to use just one material throughout the space, especially when it's small, just small space like that. Um, different it up with, like, area rugs, uh, different area rugs, and even painting a different wall a different color would give another, like, feeling to the room. So I not daring enough to do like all these different materials in one space especially when it's so small I usually like it like she said very cohesive all the same material so it's kind of like brings your eye to ease I think you can like play with those materials too though like you know if you're talking in terms of like flooring and and tile you know um, if you do have a shorter bathroom like maybe you are doing a a linear tile design you know with that's very high contrast that makes your eye you know brings it to the focal point of maybe of a, a tub or a freestanding, freestanding tub with a window, and, and that's what you want to look at. And I think ultimately that makes that space feel a lot larger for everyone. Yeah, I would say that I would, with flooring in general, um, whether it's elevated or different zones, I typically, you know, in a small space, would prefer to use one material and sort of have the expanse of that, which does kind of help to sort of elongate a space or, or widen it, and there's less sort of noise, I guess, by having multiple different finishes. Right. That's great. Um, is there a material that you consider for every space? So is there a flooring? Is there something you as designers bring in that you think is great for a small space? Um, to make it feel bigger. I love it's all cohesive. I get that if you know trying to keep it cohesive We've done little things like drop a soffit over an, a tiny island and you'll give that area a little bit of zoning But it still feels the same. Do you have a material you really like to use? Is it a flooring a paint wall covering? Crown moldings is there um, something you love I, to use? I had a, a really tricky. I mean, I've had a lot of tricky bathrooms tight little bathrooms um, in my past um, but I I think the most successful ones that I worked on, um, and there's one in my Instagram that I popped on there um, in anticipation of this discussion, um, but was it was a really small standing shower type bathroom setup. Um, and I used Calicutta marble in about six different formats um, within the, the bathroom itself. It was a... Um, a medium scale sort of transitional style building on the Upper West Side Um, and so within this one small bathroom I used like a a mini mosaic, I used a a herringbone um, mini mosaic, I used three by six herringbone, I had slab borders and um, profiles and you know there was a lot of detail um, to sort of match what the market was looking for in that part of town Um, but because it was just all in that one material, there was such a, a unified look to it and it was light and, and bright and um, despite that tight space or the footprint. Well, and your spaces were small for Pasadena. Was there, and all three of you, was there a material consideration for that you like to use on small projects? Was it more of an expression of your design? Because there's not really a client. We make up a client when we do showcase houses. But was there a consideration? Is there a product you use that that you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this all the time? Um, I'm a big fan of wallpaper. <laughs> I think um, most of uh, the designers will agree. Um, just creating that focal point, you know, um, if you have four walls, and I actually, you know, applied the wallpaper to the ceiling, I think it's a little bit unexpected, um, and it gives you, you know, that fifth wall um, that you're not ignoring, and you're actually treating as a part of the space, and it actually really rounds out the whole design. Um, the, the room I did for showcase was so small. <laughs> so small. <laughs> um, but it really did actually kind of expand the space. And when you looked at it, you didn't feel claustrophobic. You didn't 
um, you know, feel too confined. So um, I think that one focal point that you create is, is, is really important when you're working in a very small space. So, so you like a fo focal point, a money shot somewhere for a small space. <laughs> Linnea, what about you? Did you use something that, that was new, like, oh, I want to use that all the time, or, um, or in your regular projects that are smaller spaces? I think I approach each project differently for the individual, especially if it's for an end user, and kind of get a vibe from them. But I think every space really it would really serves every space really well or a bit of marble, just that natural element um, that you can bring in and kind of make the space feel more cozy. I like that. Well, I love you brought up Calicutta and marble and uh, we're very fortunate the projects we get to do. Um, but big style, smaller size and smaller budget. What are some considerations you have on that or ideas to bring, you know, to be conscious of a budget. I, you know, I have billionaire clients, there's still a budget. You know, I, I've never had, if you, the clients say, oh, spend whatever you want to spend. I, Here's I, my bank account. It's, that's <laughs> my dream. 850 <laughs> projects has never happened. But do you have considerations or how do you, how do you look at it when we do luxury work, but how do you adjust or what do you think of to still bring luxury to a space and you have to be budget conscious? Mm -hmm. Are there some tricks on that? I think it, it falls back to the, the concept of high-low. You know, um, if you're wanting to do like a custom piece of furniture that has three different functions, then obviously that's gonna cost you a little bit more on that side, but you know, on the other end, you know, where can I cut, where can I save, you know? And I think that boils down to having the eye for, you know, that low that looks high and that isn't gonna make or cheapen the space of you know a custom a custom piece or you know really high end furniture or a, a light fixture or whatever. So, anybody else on that one? Because like one thing that happens with me, wall covering gets dropped if we're hitting a budget, mm. because to get their labor for beautiful installer and stuff, that's one thing that gets dropped. It's killer because it's like, like you said, so much. But what other advice or um, things do you do with little tricks on? Watching at, a budget. At Pasadena, I did, I literally bought um, bullet casings on Etsy for $20. And I did them in the lining of the bookshelf. So, like, the, the bookshelves are wood and they just routed out holes and, like, stuck the bullets in there. Um, and, you know, I spent a lot more money on the ceiling, which was like custom coffers with a paint and a bronze mirror. And people would come in and just be like, oh my God, look at the bullets. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. It used to be the gun, the gun safe or the gun room, yeah, right? It was okay. the old gun room, so that's it tied I'm, I'm, into the I'm not going to bring up the, the NRA, it's the on their website. Um, I, I have like a couple of little tricks that I sort of will always lean on for smaller spaces with like a smaller budget. Um, one of them would be, you know, if it's like a, an open plan where you've got your living dining room all in one space, maybe the entry is also there and the kitchen's like right next to you as well. Um, I think one way to sort of like unify the space and, and make sense of it, um, it and that is of low budget is to go to like the carpet companies and, and purchase those remnants of carpet that can be like up to 12 feet wide, maybe even 15 or 16 feet wide and get a continuous length that kind of will span the length of the room, which really sort of helps to not chop up the space, but it gives you, you know, if you're choosing something kind of neutral, you can work with colour in other ways to like bring in more style, but it's a really great sort of foundational starting point. Well, exactly. There's, you go to slab yards and they have extra slabs and stuff. You don't have to buy a full slab. But what I was going to say is, you know, there's so many options out there now that's faux. Like there's so many porcelain tiles from Walker Zanger um, that have this beautiful finish. You don't even know that if it's marble That have the Donovan line. I know, exactly. So, you know, there's, you're, you have so much options now for if you're trying to design on a budget. You know, you, you just have to go look online or you just have to go and actually spent your hours to actually go and find it. But like porcelains are beautiful now. They look like marble. There's vinyl wallpaper that, you know, all of my clients love because it's textual. So it's not just like a blank white wall. Like if you have some linen or something like that or silk streams going through, it just elevates the design a little bit mm -hmm. more. And you don't have to spend that much to do it. And if there is a, like a really small budget, 
then you just have to, as a good designer, you just have to sit down and say, all right, where am I cutting out? All right, so maybe I can't afford this silk um, drapery. Let's go with polyester or something like that. So it's up to you. It's, it's your job to educate not only the client, but to do that. So, well, and to be educated, yeah. like you yeah. said. I mean, one of the challenges I find, no matter the problem, is the labor cost in California. Yeah. You know, and a client may say, can we pick out a different mosaic tile for the shower wall? My hourly, it'll be more expensive for me to pick it out. It's the labor. And so I have to tell them, like, look, you're going to save $500. You love that material. You know, so I do run against that as well, where you have to tell them, like, here's the value of what's going into it. You love this. Does that happen with you Yeah, I think also, like, just thinking about small spaces in an even more micro level and how to sort of... um, permeate your space with style, um, like a kitchen backsplash, for example, you know, you might purchase a condo that has gone with a very kind of neutral interior because that's sort of, it's the broader market appeal. Um, but for you to change that backsplash, it's a relatively low investment and is not going to break your budget. Um, it was definitely something that I was thinking about with the tile line that I did work on with Walker Zingo was the ability to bring in pattern and tile and really personalise your space and you really don't have to commit to an entire bathroom. You could just introduce that in a small area like a niche or a backsplash or maybe it's an area of the foyer floor or maybe a powder room which again is like on a smaller um, square footage for material and labour and install and Let's talk furniture. We hit on it a little bit. If What are some tricks or what do you think about when you're picking out furniture? A couple tricks. I like to float buffets so the floor goes underneath or the vanity is floating or shelves that are on the wall versus anything touching the floor, trying to avoid it. So when you're starting to pick out furniture, you start the project and you're like, oh, wow, it's tight and we have to get this in here and they want this function. How do you make choices on that? What do you think about? Where do you go? Do you do custom? You know, does, you know, is custom scares people when they hear custom? So. I mean, I definitely do a lot of custom in small spaces, but there, again, there's so much resources out there. You just have to look and do your job to, like, measure correctly. But, like, the, LA, the um, Las Vegas Market Week, they have so much vendors there, and they have so many different scales of furniture that you can pick from, from <laughs> low budget to, like, super high budget. So, like, if you haven't already checked that, that out, you should go, because they have, like, three different buildings, and it's full of furniture and accessories and anything that you can find. Have you been to High Point? No. <laughs> 15 million square feet. It, it makes uh, Vegas look but like an hour. The high point is more of like extreme luxury, right? You don't, have these ven- you don't have these vendors where they're selling just wholesale where like a chair can actually be like $100 per chair, like a dining chair. Oh, no, that's you know? there. And there's, oh, really? Okay, I need to check it out. <laughs> that's the granddaddy of furniture shows. Um, what else do you think about when you pick up furniture? How do you use furniture in a small space to make it seem bigger or... Um, I just I think scale becomes really important. You don't want some really chunky piece of furniture in a small space. It's just going to feel heavy. So um, look for sofas that are on taller legs. You know, at least six to eight inches. Um, you know, look for furniture pieces that have drawers because I love drawers. <laughs> you can throw anything in there. Um, humble brag, I guess. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I designed a coffee table with um, two drawers in it, and it's actually really hard to find a coffee table with drawers. So it's a great place to stick your remotes or, you know, magazines um, or anything you need. A nail clipper while you're sitting and watching TV. (laughs) You know? Whatever. Yeah, but the custom, we do that with a lot of drawers because it's a small space. Yeah, I think um, I have a little personal fascination with the tiny house movement and so like whenever I'm watching those shows I'm always feeling like there's so much to learn about um, about bringing things into your life that have utility and through really thinking hard about utility it's easy to sort of find the things that you like the way they look um, but to really match up utility or form and function um, is super important I think with anything that you bring into a small space. Well, Linnea, I, you are the small liver, the small liver, that sounds weird. You have the small, you habitat in a smaller home. I love when you're like, oh, the guest house was only 1,100 square feet. I'm like, mine's 1,242. Um, talk about your home, because when we had a conference call about the lecture and it had some emails, 
You've, you had a lot that you addressed or thought about with organization, and as we've said, Americans like to have stuff. And so what did you think about, like, when you're moving into this space, because you would have some great tips for us because of the experience. Just less stuff. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in a small, I think I live in 750 square feet, and so my living room is literally, like, a bookcase, a chair, a sofa, and a coffee table. Like, what more do you need? And uh, lamps, obviously. Um, but I can light my entire living room with one lamp, and it's beautiful light. It, I have a mirror behind it, so it kind of reflects. Um, but yeah, I've just had to like really let go of like a lot of stuff, and, and I kind of have a one-in, one-out policy. Like If I get something, something's got to go. <laughs> and um, I think, you know... It's helpful for the environment and for our mind state. Like, if you have a peaceful, clean space, um, I think that's kind of how you go into your day, um, feeling that way. It's very Marie Kondo, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> We're living in the Marie Think Kondo. things and throw away things that you don't like um, or don't need. But yeah, I mean, if you're living in a small space, it's really a factor of playing Tetris, right? Like, especially with the tiny house movement, everything has its purpose. Um, even stairs going up to your little loft, those are drawers for things. So, like, just thoughtfulness. Yeah. Well, and you started to hit on wellness. You know, there's so much conversation about health and wellness in multifamily. Do your clients ask for that, or do you find yourself educating them, especially a smaller space? There's not as much area to relax necessarily. You feel the space is smaller. So, do you address that when you're presenting a project or materials you pick or here's an area for yoga, here's a way that this is going to be healthful, healthy? Does that, do you, are you doing that now? Because it's been a new movement in the last couple of years and I think the public's catching up. And I'm wondering if you're educating, are they asking, especially Californians or Southern Californians? I almost think that it's something that is integrated into our job as a designer is that, you know, no one's hiring a designer to redo their home, to like it less, you know? And if you're coming home to a space that's clean and pretty and you, you're, you feel excited about it, I mean, it, it really does have an effect uh, on your overall mood um, and your state of mind and all of that and, and just doing simple things like decluttering, you know, have such a huge impact because I feel like, you know, as a society, we hold on to these things, we hoard them, we're like, oh, like, I'm going to need this in, in three or four years, and, you know, or, oh, that fit me when I was in college, but, uh, you know, it's cute, but maybe I'll be that size again yeah. one day. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not going to be that size again one day. Uh, <laughs> you may be. So I, I, think, I think that's part of our job innately, you know, whether we, you know make it more obvious, it's like, oh, I'm building you a yoga or designing you a yoga studio or a gym, Yes, that's one side of it, but I think the overall all goal of that, you know, aesthetically and functionally um, for our clients is to create an environment that they do um, feel more happier and, and have that sense of wellness. Yeah, I think it speaks again to, like, the those basic principles of design, you know, like creating harmony in using, you know, and thinking deeply about rhythm and balance and scale and proportion and how that affects you and the way you feel in a room when it's carefully selected and curated and balanced it automatically makes you feel better do you find I, I, millennials you know i sit in a lot of panels on furniture magazines and stuff about millennials are investing more in furniture they're thinking about the quality are you finding that with your clients because the the talk is they want a story they want some hand craftsmanship I think the parents are influencing them to invest more because we've become so throwaway. I'm guilty now, and I wasn't younger. Um, do you find that? Are, your, are people open to investing more and knowing it's gonna, they're going to have it longer? Yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of our, my clients um, are the younger ages, and they do want to invest in something that will last them, even though maybe the next place they have is much bigger or whatnot. But there's ways to, again, by scale and adding things in, can make the room. Um, but interior design has been so obsessive now with all these, from everyone's public eye, everyone wants to have a chic uh, living room or a chic bedroom and whatnot because we're obsessed with like, like entertaining and, and what people think and it's great, but it's also great for us because that's part of our career anyway, is making things pretty. But 
With that being said, yes, millenniums now do want to spend more money on making or, or making purchases, but they're thinking more smart about their purchases in terms of like, will this last me a long time? If I'm going to spend $500 more, it's worth it. I definitely just had a client. I was um, proposing an antique uh, mid-century bench, and he was really interested in how much he was going to be able to resell it for. Um, so I found that really interesting that he was thinking about that. That's no, I, I like. I find that I'm finding that people are investing more and they want it to last. And there's not heirloom per se, you know, but I like repurposing to an antique. And I think there's an interesting kind of subsection of clients too, um, maybe a little closer to my age, where we're not buying homes yet in LA or wherever. Um, so I do see a little bit of a hesitation to like go, you know, full force, spend whatever um, on this custom piece or an antique piece, um, but rather almost hitting that middle ground and waiting for, you know, that like forever home or sep- you know more so of a home that they're going to be more permanently in, and then investing. Um, so I've definitely come across a lot of that lately, which I find very interesting, you know, which ties into the real estate market and all of that. So, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's expensive here. Yes. Do you, do you buy the antique or do you pay the mortgage? Um, so we're on, t- we're running on time, but I'm going to close out with the last question. What is something to always avoid with the small space? And you have to all think of something different. I'm putting it on the spot. This is the one on the spot. And what's a tip that just that the audience can walk away or know that it's something they may be doing or may not be doing, but something keen. Let's come up with something that's keen. I think I'm going to go first so no one takes it. Because um, <laughs> I don't want to think of something else. Um, island, for an island, for a small kitchen, for a small home, you can actually have multi-purpose, like drawers, Things like even where you're sitting in the bar, those could be drawers as well. And there's so many options in like appliances now where everything is hidden and whatnot. I think that is huge for a small space so that you're not seeing an appliance and you're actually like honing in onto the design instead of Panel, everything paneling else there. the appliances. You mean panel ready appliances, right. right? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And what about avoiding? Um, I would try to avoid my cli- like having clients talk you into reusing furniture that you don't like. <laughs> because if you're in a small space and you're moving from a huge home to a small space, that 108 inches sofa is not going to fit. And if it does, then it's going to take up the whole entire room. And you just have to educate your clients enough to say, like, either sell it, resell it, and, and the, the money that you're going to get that from, you can, uh, you can get a custom sofa made. Yeah. Nice. And one of the things that I've been doing a good amount recently that I've really enjoyed the effect of is, um, you know, especially in a small space uh, where you might have doors and mouldings and window frames and so many different sort of moulding and architectural elements to the space. Um, I really like to colour wash. I mean, I like to use one colour for every surface, just in a different finish where it's applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does give a really um, sort of serene um, effect as that backdrop to the space, you know, rather than having the punctuation of the door and the window and the mouldings and the trims. It uh, kind of just cleans it all up. And I think it's a super effective thing for a small what, space. What about avoiding... Um, hmm. We can circle back if you need a minute. It's okay. (laughs) Who wants to go next? Um, I would say that I would avoid, um, like Jason said, reusing old furniture that just doesn't fit the scale of the home, um, and especially um, bulky furniture. So we see a lot of like really pretty, just like full stone you know, like marble pedestal side tables, which are, are beautiful, but in a smaller space that just really stops that eye, your eye right there. Um, so keeping kind of that open, floating, you know, like if you're integrating the furniture into the, on, onto, onto the wall, doing floating shelves, um, things like that, that would actually serve the same function, but actually create that op- feeling of openness. So. What about a voice? What about a tip you like to do or something that's 
Um, I am a big Mirror fan, as you can see over there. <laughs> I think it always helps the space. Um, I live in a house right now that was um, built in the 50s. So very like narrow galley kitchen. Um, the dining room was very small, but just adding that like floor length mirror, you know, can just add so much reflection and dimension to the space. So that's kind of, kind of my go-to. Accent walls. <laughs> <laughs> or a mistake. Or a mistake, I think, in a small space or anywhere. Um, <laughs> in general. <laughs> um, tip. Oh, I just had one. I forgot it. It'll come back. Um, yeah. Well, I love you all talked about scale because it's typically, even after 30 years doing this, we go in and blue tape down and show the client mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, that's that size. Have you ever tried to do that before they've moved in and say, okay, here's how big the stone table is going to be and, and dissuade them that way? Yeah, I, I've done that with kitchen layouts. Um, when you've got a raw space and you're really trying to help the client understand how they're going to be moving through that kitchen and how it's going to really work for them on a functional level, um, which I have found incredibly helpful, even for myself. Um, yeah, so I have. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys... Any final comments? Because you're all the pros. It was an honor you know, I was and privilege. just thinking about something that I would Please. avoid, which is that, you know, I don't... Um, it, it sometimes is hard if a client has a really specific um, uh, concept of, say, a kitchen in mind um, that, you know, has a specific aesthetic, whether it's um, which is something sort of like of the moment right now where you leave that sort of range wall elevation open with maybe just a one running um, shelf at the sort of the height of the range hood. Like it's, it's everywhere, I've seen it. Um, but it doesn't always work for everyone, especially if you have a smaller kitchen and you really need to use that cabinet space, you might be missing out on like six linear feet of cabinet space by taking those cabinets away. So I think it's like, it's super important to, um, to really push against trends that don't really work for, for people's real lives. So they're inspired by something online and think oh, that's trending. I love yeah. that word, trending. Um, any other final comments? I would say just keep an open mind. You know, um, you hired your designer for a reason. So, you know, keep an open mind, be open you know, to taking some risks here and there. And um, I think in the end, you end up with a much more creative, personalized space. Can I put, can I have my clients call you to say, yes. hot, trust your designer. <laughs> so um, everybody's going to be available to answer questions that you may have. And such a great panel. Again, honor, privilege to get to talk with you and hear Thank your you, ideas. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you, Pieta, Linnea, Nicolette, Jason, and Christopher. This was so much fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing you all again soon. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your continued support of Convo by Design, and thank you for listening. Were it not for you, there would be no Convo by Design, so thank you. Speaking of which, make sure you are subscribing to the show everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You can also find everything show-related at ConvoByDesign.com. Be well. And until next week, keep creating. Mm -hmm.